0: We're going to be in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 30, or starting in verse 16, sorry, starting in verse 16. Let me just remind you in these next minutes as about where we are in the story. You know that Acts is a narrative. It's a story that Luke is telling us about the early church and how the early church was formed. And so we've we've been walking through that story and we've come to Acts chapter 17 and and we're in Paul's second missionary journey where he traveled around to different churches and and began to different cities forming different churches. And last week last week we talked about the portion in chapter 17 where Paul and Silas and Timothy where Paul and Silas and Timothy began to to traveled down the Ignatian Road, and they headed to Thessalonica and to Berea. To Thessalonica and to Berea. And while they were there, we walked through kind of how Paul taught and the things that Paul taught, as well as, as the way the people responded and replied. Paul reasoned, he explained, he proved, he proclaimed, he, he did all of those things, lots of different ways that he went to Scripture Specifically, Old Testament scripture, to point to Jesus. And Paul began to work so that he might show and share Jesus. And the Jews, as they often did through all these missionary journeys, the Jews began to raise up a group and come against Paul and come against those that he's teaching. And they do that here in Thessalonica as well as in Berea. A group of Jews come and they, and they even say the, the, the men who have been turning the world upside down have now come here. And so Paul and his companions are, are quickly moved on from Thessalonica to Berea and, and continue to be pushed on farther down the Roman road. But as they do that, Lives are still changed. In Thessalonica, when we looked at the book of Thessalonians yesterday, we saw, or last week, we saw that that people were changed. They began to work and labor for the hope of Christ. They became imitators of Paul and Silas and of the Lord, and they began to share with all of the believers in Macedonia, we said. And the people in Berea received the word eagerly and daily examined scriptures to see if what they were hearing and what they were responding to were true. And last week, I said, we want to make sure that as we read through the book of Acts, as we look at the book of Acts, that we don't read it, that you don't hear it this morning, that I don't teach it this morning as a history lesson, as just a history lesson, We want to know the history of the early church. We want to know the history of how Paul went through these journeys. We want to see the history of it, but we don't want it to be just a history lesson because lives were changed. They were changed in Thessalonica. They were changed in Berea. They were changed by their encounter with Paul. They were changed by their encounter with Jesus. They were changed by their encounter with the Holy Spirit at work in them. And so... We want to make sure that we aren't just listening to a history talk, but instead are changed by the word, that we become Bereans who who receive the word eagerly and examine the scriptures daily. So today, let's continue on. We're going to be in, in Acts chapter 17. As I mentioned, we're going to continue on from that story into verse 16, finding out what happens to Paul next? If you remember, let's back up to verse verse 14, chapter 17, verse 14. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. Silas and Timothy, though, remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible, they departed. Now picking up in verse 16. Now when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some were Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this teaching is that you are preaching. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when he heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Here in Acts chapter 17, Paul heads to Thessalonica, heads to Berea. Both times, groups of, of Jewish people rise up against them, push them out of the city. And it appears here in chapter 17, and in fact, a, a couple of commentators said it this way it appears that what is happening is, is the, the early believers, the group that Paul is traveling with, they have decided that that. Paul is getting into, the, he's getting into too much trouble. He keeps going to these places. They, the, the Jews continue to follow him. Uh, a group rises up, and, and the men who are turning the world upside down keep arriving in the next city. And, and so it appears that, that maybe they've decided that they, they need to take a break, that, that Paul needs to, to take a bit of a vacation, that Paul needs to get sent off, on his own, and, and like every old Western movie, they need to wait till the heat dies down so that they can come back and begin to teach a little bit more. And so, here in chapter in the middle of chapter 17, some men take Paul, they take him to the sea, and they put him on a vacation cruise so that he can travel down to the city of Athens, which is the, the tourist city of that area. And I have a map. We've been looking at this map. This gives you a little bit of a picture, again, of, of his journey. So if you've been following along, he is on the far left-hand side of the journey. So he was in, in Berea, and then he got sent out into the sea, and he travels those red lines there down. They go through the strait there, and they come all the way around to Athens. He's on a boat ride. He's on a joy cruise. He's on a vacation. He's been sent off. So that they can get a bit of a break. And so they send him off, and and they're going to let him have a few days in the touristy city of Athens, the tourist destination. And then a little while later, Silas and Timothy are going to come and join him, and they will regain, return, continue on in their journey, and, and continue to declare the gospel and raise up church, raise up believers, raise up churches in those cities. But for a little bit, Paul's on his own. And while he's on his own, he's, he's, he's supposed to be taking a break, enjoying the sights. And so he gets to Athens, and there's tourists everywhere. And he begins to wander around and, and, and take in the sights and, and see the things. But, but what he begins to see in Athens is idols, actual carved statues everywhere. Everywhere. They're all over the place. The entire city is filled with statues to some kind of God. They've made a statue to any kind of God that they can can imagine. In fact, they even, as we see in this passage, they they have gods for, for every single thing that they can think of, and then, in case there's something that they haven't thought of or can't think of, they have a God for that person as well, that idol, as well. In fact, a common saying, I read this in almost every commentary that I looked at this week, a common saying that would have been said in Athens during that time was that it's easier to find a god in Athens than it is to find a man in Athens. That's how many gods, that's how many statues there are. And so Paul, the tourist, begins to wander around, begins to see those statues. He, he, he begins to, to see all of these different idols. But Paul is not a tourist. He never was, and he probably never will be. Paul gets here and begins to see these idols, and, and Luke tells us, Paul is, Paul is the one that would have recounted this story to Luke. Paul sees all of these idols, and, and his spirit is unsettled. And not just unsettled, his spirit, the, the scripture tells us his spirit is provoked. His spirit is, is, is so moved, he's, he's, he's filled with compassion. That's the, the first part of that idea. He's filled with compassion, seeing that, that all of these idols have been created and all these people have created these idols and they're worshiping all of these things. So, so he's, he's filled with compassion for them. But, but it's more than compassion. This, this idea of being provoked is, a, is, an, is an angry, frustrated compassion. He has compassion on those who are worshiping these idols, but he's, he's angry that the worship that belongs to the one true God, the worship that belongs to the king of the earth, as we prayed earlier, the worship that only belongs to him has been given to all of these other things. And he's provoked, and he's grieved, and he's bothered. And so, as we probably anticipated Paul, even on his vacation journey to let the heat die down, has to share. Has to share the gospel. And so Paul, as he has done in just about every city that we've come to, Paul heads first into the synagogue so that he can teach those who have some kind of background, some kind of idea of the Old Testament and the promises of the Old Testament and the promises of the Scripture. And and so he heads to the synagogue first and he begins to teach there as he has all the way through the book of Acts. But it's more than just teaching here in the synagogue. He becomes so compelled by this provoking of his spirit, so compelled by this compassion, so compelled by this botheredness that he has about the idols that he begins to go out from the synagogue. And he goes into the marketplace. And he begins to talk to whoever he can find. Whoever will listen, he begins to share and Luke tells us that, that he even shares with, with, the, with the leaders, the philosophers of these different philosophies. The Epicureans and the Stoics are the two that Luke's names. There would, have been, there would have been dozens in the city of Athens. Dozens of different philosophies and philosophers that were wandering around the city of Athens. It was the home of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. But he specifically talks about the Epicureans and the Stoics. They would have been on two opposite ends of the spectrum. The Epicureans, they would have been the philosophy that says you only live once. Do everything that you can to enjoy the life that you have because this is your life. So go all out. Do everything that you can. Enjoy it in whatever way that you can. Do everything you can to enjoy your life. Be happy right now. The Stoics, they would, have, they would have been on the other side, and you can imagine you know the word "stoic. They would have had a whole different picture. They would have said, "You know what? there's, there's nothing that we can do to change things in our life. Things are going to happen, and we need to learn how to have a stiff upper lip. Stuff is going to happen, and we don't have any control over it. It is what it is. That's what they're saying would have been. You only live once, would have been the Epicureans, and it is what it is, would have been the Stoics. Stuff happens, we just have to to deal with it. And Paul comes to both of those sides, as well as the others that were in between. Paul comes to them, and he begins to share. He begins to share there's a whole different philosophy. It's radically different than what you're hearing. It's radically different than what you know. And he begins to share. And, and as he shares those things, the people, the people don't know how to even hear it. They don't know how to understand it. They don't know how to respond. And so, in fact, they, they, they say, well, this, this man is a babbler. He, he's, he's sharing things that are crazy. We can't even understand what he's beginning, beginning to share. He, he's just sharing small bits of nonsense which we can't put together. Or, they say he's a, he's a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching things that we've never heard and that we've never understood. And so they grab him. They take him up to the Aropagus, which is the, the, the hill of, of Ares, the hill of the, of the god of war, the Greek god of war. And they take him there, which is the gathering place to discuss all of these topics. The Roman equivalent of Aries would have been Mars, and so maybe you've heard it that way. This is Paul's message on Mars Hill instead of Aries Hill. But I want to look today at this message of, of Paul's on Mars Hill. And, and as we do that, as, as I share it, as you hear it this morning, again, I want you to see the history of, of what Paul is doing and how Paul is teaching and what happens here in Athens during this early church movement and Paul's second missionary journey. But I don't want you to listen just as a history student this morning. Listen as a Berean. Listen as one who jumps into the scriptures, who tests it against the scriptures, who hears this message of Paul. Because I think that this message that Paul shares here on Mars Hill, I think it applies so well to us, to where we are today. Paul begins this message with the Athenians, and he affirms to them. He affirms their desire to worship things. He affirms their desire to worship because he knows, and you and I know as well, that we are made to worship. We will worship something. The Athenians did in Paul's time, and you and I sitting right here today, we are worshipers as well. We're wired to worship. It's been that way from the very beginning. I think it starts with Adam and Eve when they're, when they're created and they're in the garden and, and, and sin has not entered in yet, but God is looking at his creation. And he sees Adam and Eve and says, this is very good. And Adam and Eve have this this unique relationship with God that no other human has ever understood the way Adam and Eve did. They have this unique relationship with God where they they actually hang out with him in the garden. They walk with him. They talk with him. They have this, this intimate relationship with God in a way that no one else ever has had. And then sin enters into the world. And sin... Mars relationships and it ruins the relationship that Adam and Eve have with God. When sin enters into the world, everything changes. For all of history, for all of time, everything changes. And Adam and Eve now once knew this intimate relationship with God, but now because of sin, because of shame, because of guilt, They no longer have this relationship with God that they had before, and something is different. Something is missing. There's this void now where they had this perfect relationship with God before sin. Now they know there's something else missing. And that continues on down the line to their children and their children and their children and their children and and to us. And lots of people have lots of names for it. You've heard it. You've heard the, the God-shaped hole that we have in our heart, the, the void that we have in us. Whatever, whatever title you've heard for it it, it, it all comes down to the same thing. We, we are missing, we are unsatisfied. We are unwhole. And so we are looking for whatever that is to fill that void, to fill that hole, to fill that satisfaction. And so we search. We search for happiness. We search for hope. And we look everywhere we can to try to find it. And we will worship whatever we can come up against. Whatever we find that might give us some spark of joy. Whatever we can find that gives us some hope of delight. We dive wholeheartedly into it and we begin to worship it. The Athenians, they actually had idols. They had statues all over their city. We're different in our culture. We don't have statues, we don't have idols. What we worship for the most part is not carved by human hands. But it's created, not the creator. That's the way that Paul talks about it when he says it in Romans chapter one. He says he says, Well, all of us began to exchange the truth of God for a lie. We began to worship created things rather than the Creator. And that's it. That's sin. That's us. That's how you and I live. We worship created things rather than the Creator. We have eyes that look to the things that we can see, the things that we can hopefully find hope and joy in, the things that we might be able to find satisfaction in. We look there instead of looking to the Creator. Our eyes are blinded, our eyes are blinded by our sin. And we worship created things rather than the creator. We look to the wrong things. It's not statues and idols any longer. But we still, we still are distracted from the creator. We worship dead things instead of the one that created all life. And in fact, that's how Paul says it here as he begins to teach. He says, God is the creator and the author and the giver of life. Life is found in and through him. It's all in God. He is our only hope. But Paul goes on. He says, not only, not only have, have we exchanged the truth of God for a lie, not only have we searched and longed for this, this reunion with God, not only do we, do we look for all satisfaction in all these other things, but God has put us on a path so that we might find him. God has put us on a path so that we might find the hope that we've been longing for, that we might find the satisfaction that we've been looking for, that we might find the truth that has been marred and ruined by sin. And he says, says, you you even know it, he says to the Athenians. You see it in in creation. You see it in in the way that we are are perfectly and, and, and wonderfully made. You see it in the stars in the sky. He says that in in Romans chapter 1, as he talks about that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. He says, says, you see it in creation. You know who God is. And you also see in creation the downward spiral of sin. While we can marvel that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we also understand the picture that our bodies are not getting better and better and better but they're getting worse and worse and worse. And there's this downward spiral because of the results of sin. And he says, you, you see it in creation. And in fact, he says, he says we, we seek God, we, we feel for him, we grope for him is the picture that he says there. You're, you're looking for him and, and he's not far from us, but you can't find him. You're blinded by your sin. You're blinded by your sin, and, and God is close. God is there, but you just can't find him. You're reaching out, groping around, looking for him. But it's in him. It's in him that we move. It's in him that we have our being. It's in him that we have hope. We are his offspring. We are creatures of the creator. And we've been searching and looking to him and for him. And then, as Paul shares these things, and he says, In him we live and move and have our being, and we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, he says in verse 29. He says, The, the times of ignorance God overlooked. He says, Times have changed. Times have changed. In the Old Testament, God made promises that there was going to be a hope. God made promises that there was going to be a Messiah. There was going to be a way for you to fill this void. There was going to be a way for you to quit groping around, searching for God, but God was going to come and God was going to provide a way. God was going to provide a hope. God was going to provide a Messiah. And Paul says here, That has happened. The times of ignorance are over. There's a a hinge pin right here in verse 30. The time of ignorance is over, but now he commands everyone to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. Paul says, There is a time for repentance. You've looked to all these other idols. You've you've worshiped these carved statues. You have them set all over your city. You've looked for hope and joy and satisfaction in everything else. And the time has changed. The day of ignorance is over because God has sent his son. God has sent Jesus Christ to make a way for us to have this right relationship with God. The relationship that Adam and Eve had, we will again one day have. Not here on earth where we're still affected by the effects of brokenness and sin and and we're in that downward spiral of sin and death. But God has made a way has to have this right relationship with God, the relationship that he had with Adam and Eve early in the garden, that relationship we can have yet again. And he's made a way for us to do that through his son. Jesus. Jesus is what everything changes in. Jesus is the hinge pin. Everything has changed We're no longer, we're no longer worshiping idols. We're no longer waiting and looking as the Old Testament would have have promised. But now, but now we have Jesus. Jesus has made a way for us to be reconciled. Jesus has made a way for us to be brought back into relationship with God. Jesus is the missing void. Jesus is what we're longing for. The God made man is our rescuer. He's our only hope. These other idols, these other things that you have looked for, the hope that you have looked for in those things is found only in Jesus. Now here in Acts chapter 17, Paul doesn't use the name of Jesus and there's some that debate whether he did. I think the assumption is that these words that we see here in Acts chapter 17 are the only words that Paul spoke that day are probably wrong. They say that the speeches that would have happened there on Mars Hill typically would have lasted for two to three hours sometimes. And so we have to figure that this outline that Paul gave to Luke was a rough idea of how he shared and what he shared. But Paul gathers... He says, there's a hinge pin here. What you have worshipped was in vain. And now, Jesus Christ is the only way. And he says that Jesus, we know Jesus to be the way. We know Jesus to be the hope. We have assurance of this truth because of the resurrection. Jesus has been brought back from the dead. Just as we prayed earlier, God has vanquished. He has subdued all of the foes and the enemies. And He has won victory over sin and death, and He did it through Jesus Christ. Tells us that as Paul shares this. Message as he shares this sermon, as he tells people that you have worshiped created things rather than the Creator, and the Creator has made a way for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. As Paul shares those things, there's three responses by the people at Mars Hill. The first response that you can probably guess, they already teased him that he was a babbler. The first response is that they mock him, they laugh at what he had to share. They tease him. They push him away. There's a second group that responds in a different way. They, they say, we want to hear more about this. We want you to come back and to tell us more. They're, they're intrigued. There's an idea of something that, that, that hits them, but, but they cannot cross over. They cannot understand. Their eyes are still blinded. They can't, they can't respond. They don't respond. But there's a third group. There's a third group that does. Paul goes out of their midst and says, and some men joined him. Then he sees a woman named Demarius and others with them. There's some who do join him. We're faced, I think, this morning with that same decision. We are not all that different than the Athenians. We have worshipped lots of things. We have put our hope in lots of places that were not Jesus. We've worshiped created things rather than the Creator. We've had our eyes set on idols rather than the Creator. And today, there's a hinge pin here. The one you've been waiting for, the thing that you've been placing your hope in, all of those things, they're gone. And there's hope only in the Son, only in Jesus. Your only hope today comes in Jesus. He is your rescuer. He is your redeemer. He is the only hope. And so you have an option this morning. Some might mock. Some of you may be here today and you're hearing it and you're, you're thinking about it and you're thinking there's, there's something I, I like about this. I want to hear more. And some, some of you have joined into the family. Some of you have already responded. Some of you have hoped. My hope this morning is that you will all look to Jesus as our only hope. Stop wasting your time Stop wasting your time looking at carvings and idols. But turn to the creator rather than the created things. The worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us this morning. We're going to continue to worship. I hope, I hope this morning that you have eyes to see the hope that comes in Christ. Eyes that see the promise of the Old Testament is true. It's fulfilled in Jesus, and he is our only hope this morning. Will you please stand with me this morning as we worship together?
1: The greatest love is mine Since you laid down your life The greatest sacrifice
2: has found me just as As I am am. Empty empty handed butter Majesty, Majesty Forever I am changed by your love In the presence of your majesty And forever I am changed by your love in the presence of your majesty.
0: Our benediction this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 3. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you for coming.